0: At the start of the pandemic, two million of the most vulnerable people in England were given an instruction. You need to shield.
1: People got a letter with a government logo over the top saying you're clinically extremely vulnerable, stay inside. And then the next letter people receive literally is you can now go out.
0: On Friday, the National Shielding Programme is being put on pause. The government says it's time to go back to work.
2: People who will be required to go back to work, that's an incredibly difficult situation and quite a personal dilemma. Do I risk my job or do I risk my health?
0: With hundreds of new coronavirus cases being reported every day, is it too soon? What will happen to the people who are most at risk?
3: I was working in a care home. They did tell me that they couldn't guarantee my safety. It was suggested that I should just leave.
0: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is shielding ending too soon?
4: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
5: I'm Judy and I'm 58 and I'm married and I have three sons, grown sons and a granddaughter who's nearly seven months. Judy
0: from Northampton has multiple sclerosis. She has to take drugs that suppress her immune system. That meant that under government guidance, she's been shielding, staying at home and taking extreme caution, much more than the lockdown the rest of us have been living through.
5: My granddaughter is one on Christmas Eve and I said to my husband, we'll be together and I'll be able to hold her on Christmas Eve. But I don't think that's the case now.
0: A few weeks ago, people who were shielding were told they could start to take tentative steps out of the house for the first time in months.
5: The first trip I ever did was in the car and I stayed in the car and somebody walked past and I said to my husband, get them to go away. It was that bad. I've been to a garden centre, which I hated. People just weren't... They wouldn't stay away from me. It was uh, it was too overwhelming. It feels like everybody walking towards you has got Covid all over them. You get terrific sensory overload and everything is loud. People are loud and the cars are loud. Before the pandemic... Judy worked in a charity shop. I'm a very social person. I like working in my shop and I like all my customers and I like being busy. So it's very much the other side of my character. But yeah, that's what it feels like. Too much, too much. I have to go back to work soon and um, I have to try and face this.
4: As we take these steps, we should be focusing on the most vulnerable.
0: On the 16th of March, in the first daily government briefing on coronavirus, Boris Johnson introduced the concept of shielding that would radically change the lives of more than two million people.
4: And to ensure that those with the most serious health conditions are largely shielded from contact, from social contact, for around 12 weeks
0: the guidance on shielding issued in March said people like Judy should stay indoors at all times the government would even deliver food parcels if people didn't have family or friends who could shop for them and those who are shielding should socially distance even from members of their own family in the same home now those rules are changing our advice to those shielding is to take some steps now to start coming back to a more normal lifestyle. And then secondly, from August the 1st, we will pause shielding. Today, I'm talking to three people, Sean, Judy and Lindsay, about the impact of that decision on their lives. And we'll hear from the charities who are worried people could be forced to choose between their jobs and their health
2: can't see you.
0: Here we go. I'm currently broadcasting from a cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da!
2: Oh my God. Do you want us to send the SAS and rescue you?
0: Please. (laughs) Now, how are you?
2: I'm all right. I'm all right. Sean
0: O'Neill is The Times' chief reporter, working on investigations and major stories. And for the past 10 years, he's been living with chronic leukaemia.
2: I love being in a newsroom. It's a kind of cantankerous, grumpy, funny, dark-humoured place to work, and I've always enjoyed that atmosphere. So I really miss it at the moment. But it's not the same, is it? You know, I, I, you know my colleagues who are in there. There's a kind of small skeleton staff producing the paper, you know, in in the office. Yeah, but um,
0: won't be back to normal.
2: Yeah, it's it's not normal.
0: But you're determined to go back.
2: I am. Yeah, a lot of my colleagues think I'm bonkers as well because they're quite happy <laughs> working from home, but. If this is the new normal, I don't like it. It has been increasingly difficult. I haven't really ever adhered strictly to the shielding instructions. I always felt that I could, well, that I would bend the rules a bit, partly because I've been living with my condition for so long. I have a a kind of built-in caution, almost like a muscle memory around, you know, the times when I had chemo. I can imagine. I have to kind of, take myself out of circulation for a while and then gently introduce yourself back into it, you know.
0: So you were sort of really cautious already. In many ways, all the things that we're all learning now kind of been a way of life for you for a while.
2: At the beginning, I was very cautious. Then when I had chemotherapy, I was extremely cautious, coming back to work after that. And there was a period, you know, where I never went on the tube, ever. But at the same time, my consultants and my clinical nurses were always telling me you've got to try and live life as normally as possible so I I kind of take the same lessons into this but you know some of the rules I think we were given as shielders you know don't come within three steps of any member of your family
0: at Uh, any time not even sort of the people at home
2: Yeah, the the people at home, you were supposed to stay three steps away from them. And and frankly, that was, for me, that just seemed silly. You know, I've got kids aged 10 and 12. They don't understand how to stay three steps away. So I, I, I never took that one seriously or enforced that one, really. I I have so kind of little faith in the government rules and regulations and the way they were enforced and, and the way they've been interpreted by certain people really? in the government that I decided to make my own sort of risk assessments and.
0: That's so interesting. Why do you have so little faith in the official guidance?
2: Because I, I could see this coming. You know, it was happening all over Europe. Yeah. And we were so late to the lockdown. That's why we made a decision as a family to lock down personally earlier because we decided then we have to make our own decisions here.
0: You have sort of relaxed the rules a bit now. Tell me what that's been like. I mean, have you used public transport or have you been out shopping? What are you doing?
2: My one and only venture onto public transport. I had an appointment for a checkup at the hospital, which had been delayed. So I had to go in for my blood tests and, and all that. And I, I diligently set off to, to go on my bike you know, I thought, you know, I'll avoid public transport. Literally, the moment I went out the door, there was a kind of thunderclap and a downpour. <laughs> it was absolutely hammering down. So I went, Just oh, your s- luck. sod that, I'm getting the train. So I, I got my face <laughs> how, mask how on. How did that
0: feel, though?
2: Uh Weird. I'm very wary about public transport. I'm very wary about my great love, which is the pub. I haven't been in a pub yet. I keep walking past pubs and going, God, I really want to go in and have a pint, but uh, I'm just not ready. I'm just not there mentally yet where I feel it's safe enough.
0: Can you see yourself doing that sort of before the end of summer?
2: I just, it just doesn't feel right at the pub. Yeah, I'm a fan of social distancing still, I'm afraid. Fair enough. And I think if I go to the pub and have a few pints, I'll be hugging everybody. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that something you've really missed?
2: Yeah, I, always, I greet nearly all my friends with a hug, apart from the really grumpy ones. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we, we probably were a more tactile society than we thought we were. Because I think a yeah. lot of people miss hugs and pats on the back and all the rest of it, you know. Handshakes, all of that.
0: Yeah. Look at you, pats on the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, take me back to March, which is, you know, last time I saw you, last time we spoke properly. What's been happening to you since? I mean, when did you find out that you had to shield? What was the advice?
2: The advice was stay indoors. Do not go out under any circumstances. If you need fresh air, sit near an open window. Sleep separately. But
0: just don't go out ever.
2: Do not go out at all. Wow. Cook separately from your family. Eat separately from your family. Use a separate bathroom if you can. Do not come within three steps of any member of your family. There were these letters and text messages and things. What do they say? you must shield. you are you have been identified as extremely clinically vulnerable
0: extremely um, clinically vulnerable because yeah. I know they sort of categorize it as sort of clinically vulnerable and extremely clin- clinically yeah. vulnerable so you're sort of you're in the um
2: I'm in, in the, the extreme category. Yeah, the elite shielders <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes the elite I like that <laughs> in Northampton Judy has been writing online about her experience of shielding with MS, and her fears for the future. There was a bit in in your piece which I just found staggering and incredibly moving at the same time, where you said you actually had a conversation with your husband, where you told
5: him he'd be better
0: off leaving you.
5: Yeah, I did. Yes, I've had that several Tell times me about actually. That. I was very frustrated and all I could see was that he was giving up his freedom I just said to him you're going to, if you keep staying here with me you're not going to go and meet the family and be able to you know socialize and have a barbecue and all these different things and I, I said to him you need to go because your life why should you have to give up your life just because you because of me and um he just looked at me and, and said well okay I thank you very much for telling me that but No, I'm stopping. I'm staying. Bless him.
0: So while you've been shielding, has there been much sort of support from the government? I mean, um, have you been part of this national shielding programme? How has that worked?
2: Uh, I think it's been four text messages, two letters and a phone call from the local council to see if I needed a food box. That's it. That's it? Yeah.
0: No sort of um, updates or, you know, here's the latest advice or...
2: No, I mean, there was a letter saying shielding is coming to an end, but that was the first communication I'd had for about two months.
1: Well, I got an email very late at night saying we will change guidance for the shielding at half past ten at night, I think.
0: Charlotte Auxt is the chief executive of National Voices, an umbrella group of some of the leading British health charities.
1: And everybody was dismayed because we knew that the phone lines were going to ring on Monday morning with people desperate for information, and we had no way of getting prepared. And then the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care announced through a tweet that the guidance for the shielding was
0: changing. Matt Hancock was tweeting a link to an article which sort of explained some of this, but it was in the Telegraph behind a paywall.
1: Yeah, what can you say? This is really not how guidance that impacts so directly on people's lives can be communicated. If this was guidance for businesses, I just don't think that you could get away with that. People got a letter with a government logo over the top saying you're clinically extremely vulnerable. And then the next letter people receive literally is you can now go out that they're no longer (laughs) vulnerable and that they should please go back to work. I think this has done untold damage to the relationship that shielding people feel they have with this government. Really? Yes, I do think that. A subsection of the people on our focus group actually went as far as sort of pursuing proper conspiracy theories around how people living with chronic illness or people living with disability are just dispensable and that in a way, if they don't survive this crisis... You know, that's okay. We would obviously never indulge such conspiracy theories,
0: but. But they really felt that they were being almost targeted or left to, to suffer. Yeah, because and
1: a lot of people who would not subscribe to such conspiracy theories felt that whether they fare well during this crisis or have a rough time was not very high on the list of government priorities.
0: One charity, Macmillan Cancer Support, told us they've been receiving a 1,000 calls a week about coronavirus and that two-thirds of people with cancer who are currently shielding worry they won't get the help they need. I mean, I know you're raring to go, you're desperate to get back into the office, but, you know, working for The Times, we're also able to work from home. Yeah. But there will be some people who suddenly aren't covered by... Yeah. By the, you know government furlough or, or the government saying vulnerable people have to shield, who now don't really have a choice, I guess.
2: No. No, and I think that's going to be really difficult. And and you hear stories about people feeling very anxious, feeling that they will be required to go to work, they will have to go to work, yeah, or that they will have to find another occupation. That's an incredibly difficult situation and quite a personal dilemma for a lot of them. You know, do I risk my job or do I risk my health? You know, that, they're faced with a very stark choice there.
5: Each announcement has been so hard. It just feels like we're being pushed off a cliff. They say go back to work if it's COVID safe, but what's COVID safe? And you just endless questions now, just endless, endless questions. For the moment, I'm angry at myself, and that's come up a lot, because if I didn't have MS, I wouldn't be in this situation. So that's been very tough. Oh, but you can, you're hardly to blame
0: for that. I know. Does it feel like the timing is right? How do you feel about shielding suddenly stopping?
5: I think it's too soon. And the reason I think it's too soon is because we've gone from quite a lot of things being closed to quite a lot of things being open very quickly. And there hasn't been time to see how this affects the rates and the, the, you know, the numbers. So you're, you're officially furloughed at the moment? Yeah, I'm furloughed at the moment. But you see, that's another concern, because once we get to the side of August... I think I can still be furloughed, but I can't have statutory sick pay for this. So if work decides that they want me back and I am not ready to go back, then I will have to go unpaid. I would hate it if I have to give up my job. I love my job. But my health is more important. When you're ready to
0: pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
5: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: I do think it is problematic to not provide any kind of guidance as to what financial help might be available to people if their workplace can't be made safe.
0: That's Charlotte Auxt again.
1: At the moment... Uh, Some people are furloughed. The furlough scheme is running out. Some people are on statutory sick pay. Statutory sick pay is running out. And then there is a benefit around employment assistance for people who are too sick to work. And by definition, they're not too sick to work. You know, they won't pass those tests. It's about can you stand and can you open an envelope and can you answer a phone call? And if you can do these things, then you can work. You won't get that benefit. And we have pushed repeatedly the government as to what people should do if their workplace can't be made safe. And we have had no answer. The only answer we get is, you need to talk to your employer. But those are people who are chronically ill, who've just been off work for quite some time. They're in a really vulnerable position to start an argument with their employer during a time when record number of people are being made redundant. The knock-on effects of people losing their jobs right now this
0: winter could be huge. If you have been shielding, yeah. and now the government says that as of the 31st, you can go back to work, yeah. do you have any amount of choice in that? Can you say, I don't feel safe doing it? Will you still have some kind of government protection? Will you get some money to be able to stay at home and be safe?
1: No, you won't get. I mean, we have asked this question (laughs) on more than one occasion and we have not had an answer. We don't think it's fair to just say to employers and employees, well, sort it out. Because some employers, large employers might be able to say, oh, we just take this hit. But if you're a small employer and that work needs doing, are you going to continue paying someone's salary who can't do the job? And given we have furloughed, Millions of people, millions and millions of people (laughs) recently. It seems a bit difficult for us to understand why you can't just continue following this very small number of people who can't safely return to
0: work. What will happen to them? I mean, are you you hearing... that? Well, we've already heard that people are losing
1: their jobs. I know of a person who's in a care home and she was just told in no uncertain terms that this is not a job she should be doing anymore.
3: I was working in a care home. They did tell me that they couldn't guarantee my safety.
0: Lindsay is 32 and she's worked in healthcare since she was 19. She lives in Sheffield with her husband and her daughter, who's also shielding.
3: I have chronic asthma, so I take three inhalers and also my daughter's on. um, She has an autoimmune disease, so she's on steroids as well.
0: So a, a double reason to be shielding.
3: Yeah, we're in the, like, clinically the most vulnerable. Category.
0: So, what happened uh, at work when you told them you'd need to shield?
3: As soon as I told them I needed to shield, they wanted me to get sick notes from the doctors sending copies of my letter. Um, and I was trying to explain, Doctor isn't going to give a sick note because I'm not sick. I don't think they were very believing at first.
0: You'd think a care home would know, would understand you would, the issue. You?
3: you think they would, and you think they would be a bit more supportive about it.
0: And then, I mean, w- what happened?
3: I didn't get furloughed because they told me it was my choice, so they just put me on sick pay. So,
0: hang on, you, you, you weren't even offered the choice of being furloughed? No. Wow, so they just put you on sick pay? Yeah. <laughs> that sick pay is the statutory basic of £96 a week, which until now has been paid to people who are shielding and can't be furloughed. But on the 31st of July, even that will come to an end.
3: As time went on, they kept reminding me that I wasn't there doing my job. And I said, obviously, I have to not just protect myself. It's my daughter as well. I was starting to get worried, obviously, about sick pay finishing. And they said once the sick pay period ended, if I stayed with them, that I just wouldn't get any more support. I would just be on unpaid leave.
0: Wow. So because of the shielding rules and because you've yeah. been putting your, your own life and your daughter's life in danger if you'd ignored them, yeah, they would have made you stay at home on zero pay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And they told me they hadn't had a case for so many days, but they obviously couldn't guarantee my safety. It was suggested that I should just leave.
0: Did you feel like you were forced to quit?
3: Yeah, I think it felt very much forced. So they didn't have to say they sacked me.
0: I mean, you sort of run out of options then, don't you? I mean, you, I guess you kind yeah. of have to quit to try to get yeah,
3: that's, yeah. some kind of I was in the corner. Yeah, I, I couldn't get really any help. We tried to get help without me like leaving, but... When I signed up to Universal Credit, the first month they got £21 on top of my sick pay. That was it? Yeah. What now? Um, At the moment, we're looking at our options. I mean, I've applied for a few jobs.
0: How do you even apply for for new jobs when you're still shielding at home?
3: I've had to ask people because people have offered me interviews and I've been saying, I can't come in for an interview. Could we do it on Zoom? And then I don't get a reply. That's
0: so hard.
3: This will be my last month's pay from my job, um, sick pay. <laughs> but it'll be my last month. We are like into our overdrafts now. It's actually a year today we bought our first house. So we're sort of in the situation where we've bought a house and we can't get help with paying the mortgage. Wow.
0: So,
3: yeah, that's where we're at.
0: <laughs> that's a hell of a lot of pressure.
3: It, yeah, it is, it is a lot of pressure.
0: How do you feel about the end of shielding? Will you feel safe in a few days' time? Will you feel safe just going back out into the world and looking for jobs and going to interviews?
3: Um, I don't think I will feel safe, but I think it's a necessity. Now I don't really have an option. You know, universal credit aren't helping for whatever reason. I mean, my daughter gets disability benefits because she's disabled, but that's not what I should be using her disability money for. I mean, we need a new pair of crutches for her because she has juvenile idiopathic arthritis and we need to get a new pair of crutches, but we can't afford them at the moment because her money that we would normally use to get her stuff is having to go on like different... I mean, we get a food parcel, but it's just for me um, and her, so it's not really enough to feed all of us. We had one this morning. They come once a week at about six o'clock in the morning. They leave them on the doorstep. You get soup bread, oats, tinned meatballs and fish and things like that. I mean, we're grateful for it, but you, you get the basics.
0: Yeah, the food parcels you've been yeah. getting. I understand all of that ends when shielding ends too. How, yes, it does. <laughs> how will that affect you?
3: Um, I mean, it will be a bit difficult. I mean, we've not had to buy the essentials. I mean, there's not a massive amount, is it? but it has helped to save a little bit on essentials, but we're going to have to go back to buying that and before it wouldn't have been like a lot to us to have to buy those things but being out of work I think it'll make a a big difference yeah I don't think it's really been thought through I mean there needs to be some some sort of help I think it's not just gonna be normal again
0: what's your best hope for what might happen over the rest of the year
3: um to get a new job where I can at least feel safe and carry on providing good luck with it thank you very much (laughs)
0: Charlotte, for those people who've been shielding so far and now seem to be falling between the cracks, what do you think needs to be done?
1: We argue all it would take is maybe extend the furlough for this very small group of people for another six months until we get through the winter and see where we're at then. There were two million people on the shielding list. Of those, maybe half are not of an age where they need to be working. And then, you know, the the remaining million, a lot of them can return to work because their workplace can be made safe. But those few hundred thousand who can't, we just think that employment question and that benefit question needs to be resolved. Because I think one of the things that carries a society through a crisis like the one we're just living through is trust and a feeling that the interests and the needs of vulnerable people and people who need extra protection, come quite high on the list of priorities.
0: We asked to speak to the government minister responsible for the shielding programme in England, but our request for an interview was declined. In a statement, a government spokesperson said, we know people need time to adjust to the end of the emergency food parcel service and understand their anxieties about shielding coming to an end. And that's why we've recently written to the 2.2 million people across England with information outlining the support that will still be available to them going forward from August the 1st. Given the low incidence rate in the community, we are now able to carefully relax the guidance for those who are clinically extremely vulnerable so people can start to regain a degree of normality in their daily lives.
2: I'm much more worried about the winter than I am now. Infection is at quite a low level at the moment in the community, but but I, I think, it, it, you know, all the, all the lessons we see from China and everything are that in the winter it will be much more prolific, uh, and that worries me far more. And, and I wonder if our return to normality will be reversed then.
0: Yeah. If I remember rightly, you do owe me a drink.
2: I think I do, yeah. <laughs>
0: One day, in a beer garden somewhere.
2: Oh, please, God.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Times' chief reporter, Sean O'Neill, the chief executive of National Voices, Charlotte Augst, Judy in Northampton and Lindsay in Sheffield. You can read all of Sean's reporting with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk/slash subscribe to find out more. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella and Falcon Kisseltook, music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you get a chance, please do leave us a review. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. See you tomorrow.
4: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.